Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Into our relationship with Christ. 
So today we're going to look at our last look at Matthew. As we've gone with Matthew in this journey through, um, through Jesus' last week, through his arrest, uh, through his crucifixion, through the resurrection. And now we look at this last scene in Matthew, and it is a beautiful piece of literature. We don't have time to get into all the ways this connects, not only back through the whole network of veins and arteries uh, of, of Matthew, of themes and, uh, and, and theology, but it comes to culmination here. And it's impressive how Matthew brings it all and sums it up in five verses. And also is the culmination, and I would say uh, the launch pad of Jesus' ministry and his kingdom on earth for us. This is an extremely important passage that we're going to look at today, and you guys probably know it as the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. You can follow on the screen, although I think it's kind of hard for some of you guys to see it if you're watching this on the phone. Or you can follow on a smart device like I'm doing on my iPad. Maybe you have your phone out and you're watching this, but you can hear it and then pull up your Bible app. I don't know. Whatever you need to do, get your Bible turned to Matthew 28. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now remember, the last thing that we looked at last week was that the women went to tell the disciples, and they went with joy and with fear. We talked about that word joy. And they were going to tell the disciples that they had seen Jesus and that they were to go back to Galilee to meet Jesus, where he had told them to meet him. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now this is an interesting last phrase here. Some doubted. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. or you're, If you're like me, I've read it and I'm like, why would you doubt, right? Jesus was dead. He's resurrected. The women saw the resurrected Jesus, told you the story about it, told you to go to Galilee where he was going to show up, and he shows up. So if all of that is true, then why in the world would you doubt? I mean, it's like, come on. This is obvious that this is the right thing. That there's no question in your mind that this is Jesus. But I don't think the doubt there means that they doubted that it was Jesus or that they doubted that it was actually happening. That's not what the doubt was. The doubt was within themselves. Some doubted. And their doubt was, what is really my response to this? How am I supposed to act with this resurrected Jesus? What does this mean for me? I really think that this word doubt here leans more that direction. So that the doubt that they have is personal doubt, not doubt in Jesus, but doubt in themselves. How am I supposed to respond? And what I found is that most Christians have a similar doubt. I mean, honestly, most of us doubt. Am I living my faith out right all the time? Most of us doubt ourselves that we're responding to Jesus in, a, in an appropriate way. And I get that. I mean, that's part of struggling with faith, right? That's part of what it looks like to grow in faith. It's, it's, to, it's to kind of work it out and to try to figure out, okay, am I doing this thing right? And I think that's what the doubt is here. And so when the disciples doubted, it wasn't that they doubted Jesus. It was that they doubted their response to him. Maybe you find yourself in that boat. I know I do sometimes. I think that's an important theme going into what Jesus is about to say. Verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, now here's what's interesting. In our translation, we don't pick this up, but there's actually three things that Jesus does. Jesus comes. Jesus 
speaks and Jesus says. We only we combine the last two verbs in most of our translation. But Jesus comes, he speaks, and he says. It's a it's this kind of building aspect of what he's about to say is important. Remember three, anytime you have three in scripture, it's an important thing. It's like, okay, this is important, this is perfection, this is this is almost Trinitarian in that it completes the will and the thought of God. So this is important. So he comes, he says, it, or he speaks, and he says. So this is what Jesus says. So in other words, Matthew's throwing big quotes, air quotes. Jesus says. If you're a Chris Farley fan, you know what that's from. Out on the river. All right. Normally some of y'all will chuckle in here, and it's dead air, so I'm sorry. Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I want to come back to this, but think about this for a second. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus has said all along that the kingdom, that the reign of God is here and it's in me. So for the first time, the kingdom, the power, the reign of God, the authority of God was in and amongst us. It was working itself out in this person of Jesus. So they had seen this in-breaking. But now Jesus is saying, not only do I have this power that I've revealed to you over and over and over again through my life, but now I have authority in heaven. So I'm going back. I've got authority in heaven, and I've got an authority on earth. Here's what's interesting about that. And I'm going to challenge you guys to think about this. Who else offered Jesus all authority on earth? Satan did. Very good. Satan did. Now, let's go back. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's in the desert and he's fasting, right? And at the end of the fast, Satan shows up and he tempts Jesus. He tempts Jesus to get some food, to make food. Go ahead, turn that rock into bread. I know you're hungry. Then he tempts him with, look at all of this world. I can make you the authority, the king over everything on this globe. That was Satan's promise to him. Jesus denied the temptation. We're going to come back to this thought because it's important for us to understand here in a little bit about how it applies to our life. So keep that in mind. This is a bookend. Jesus was tempted. The shortcut. The shortcut was Satan says, I'll give it to you now. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to live this life three years wandering around and, 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 and being stre uh, stressed by and pushed by the crowds. You don't have to live in this friction with, with the authorities. You can just go about your thing, and I can make you king over all of this right now. The temptation was authority on earth then, but because Jesus waited, he got authority not only on earth, but in heaven. And in so doing... Jesus creates a permanent bridge between the power of God, the authority of God, and his rule and his reign on earth. There's forever this connection now. Authority in heaven and on earth. And the connection is what Jesus accomplished in his resurrection. By the way, everything that Jesus says here in the words of Jesus, what Matthew is doing is tying up a nice bow on what it means for Jesus to be resurrected. Because Jesus is resurrected... Now all authority in heaven and on earth belong to him. And
and there's a permanent connection. That's what the resurrection was for. But that's not the only thing the resurrection was for. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the part you've probably heard before. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What's the therefore, therefore? Why? If y'all were here, I would ask you, why do you think the therefore is there? It's because, precisely because, now Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth that we are empowered to make disciples. Now, there's only one primary verb in this sentence that makes up verse 19 and 20. Does anybody in here know what that verb is? You can say it. One primary verb. Go. Go? That's your guess? Okay. Anybody else? Well, we've got, we've got really four or five to choose from here, right? Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. The actual verb here is make disciples. The verb is to make disciples. And it's an imperative. And it carries this sense of an ongoing action. Well, it's an error, so it's, it's something that we're just supposed to do. But the other verbal aspects of the sentence carry with us this idea of, of continuous action. So let's hop into that and break this down real quick. And then settle on the word that we chose for this week. First off... The verb is to make disciples. Because authority now is in Jesus on he in heaven and on earth, we are called to do what he did. We are called and empowered to make disciples just like he made disciples. It is our duty to be so connected with this new connection that Jesus makes, the authority in heaven and on earth, that we're so connected with him that we begin to live out his mission and his mission becomes our mission, which is to make disciples. Well, how do we do that? There are three other verbal aspects to this sentence, and I mentioned them. Go, baptize, and teach. But they're all participles, which means they are verbal adjectives. I know that's weird. Don't worry about it. Don't get lost in the weeds on this. But here's what that means. They carry with them two things an ongoing action, a sense of ongoing action, and they carry with them also an imperative type of um, notion, which means it's a must, it's a command. But they also have these aspects of verb. It's who you are. I mean, I'm sorry, it's, it's a noun. It's who you are. It defines you. It's, it's an adjective. It defines you. So what, de what defines making disciples? There's three things. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Those three things define what it means, and they're not, it's not a full definition, but they're an important part of the definition of what it means to make disciples. So let's talk about each one of those. First off, go. Now this word actually kind of carries with it the idea of as you journey. So another translation might be, therefore, as you journey throughout life, wherever you step, wherever you go, wherever, wherever my will leads you, make disciples. It becomes a natural part of your everyday flow. That means you can make disciples at the gym. 
That means you can make disciples in cub cubicle world, if that's where you live, uh, once you get back to work. It means that you can make disciples at the Little League ballpark. It means that you can make disciples with your neighbors. It means that you can make disciples with the rug club. It means that you can make disciples wherever you go. The idea is that, that what defines us is that as we move through this life, we are naturally making disciples. It flows out of who we are. Just like it did with Jesus. Think about it. Jesus taught his disciples not only with words, but with what? With actions in his life, right? I mean, they followed him for 30 years and watched what he did. They watched how he interacted with people. They watched how he dealt with people that no one else wanted to deal with. They watched how he loved, how he cared, how he healed, how he prayed. They watched his life, and his life taught them. The go here is saying, your life teaches people how to make this, or how to be a disciple. Your life teaches people. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Take a step back and be honest. If you were someone outside of you looking at you, now outside of be making you a disciple. I don't know if you're following that. If you take a look at yourself, and you really took an honest look at yourself, can you say that the way I'm living is making disciples? That people catch Jesus from just being around me? Go. As you journey, let your lifestyle speak of what it means to follow Jesus. The second thing is baptize. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as I said earlier, this is an ongoing action and it's an imperative. So we should be baptizing people into faith. Now, understand that this doesn't only mean the physical baptism here, it's a theological statement. We ought to be inviting people into the death and resurrection of new life of Christ, to dying to their old way of selves and to coming back into a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. Dead is the old person. God gives me a new way of living, a new lifestyle. So when he says baptizing here, he means both literally baptizing and he means inviting people into a deep relationship with Christ, to saying no to themselves and taking on a new life in Christ. And that's a continuing action. So let's put those two together. As we journey through our life, as we go about our work, wherever we are, are we making an impact on people in such a way that they see Jesus? And by our lifestyle, are we calling them into relationship with Christ? Are, is our lifestyle and our love so contagious, COVID-19 contagious, that when people are around us, they catch the disease? But the disease isn't COVID-19. It's not any form of coronavirus. It's Jesus. Are they catching Jesus through us and then becoming like him themselves? Baptizing means inviting people into this new lifestyle, into this new way of life. And it means, as you do that, literally baptizing people. So I'm going to stop here and say this. Every year at this time, we do baptisms. But we haven't been able to do that this year. When all of this settles and the dust settles and things open back up, if you have made a decision for Christ and you are ready to be baptized, we would love to hear that. And I would love to work with you to get you baptized. 
Now, again, this is not um, this isn't some secret passage. This isn't some some ritual that you have to do in order to be accepted by Christ. But it is an outflow of your relationship with Christ. If you've never been baptized and you want to do that, please talk to me, and I would love to do that. We can do it here. We can do it at the river, right, Seb? We can do it down at the beach. We can do it wherever there's water and uh, it's deep enough for you to get in, right? So we would love to do that. So the first two we've talked about. What does it mean to make disciples? It means that as we journey, people catch Jesus from our lifestyle, and that as they catch Jesus from our lifestyle, it becomes infectious, and they want it to, and we invite them into this relationship with Christ. That's baptizing. And then the third way is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is pretty straightforward, right? Is to tell other people not only about who Jesus is, but how he lived. And what did Jesus teach his disciples? I mean, we can think about this, right? He taught them the Sermon on the Mount. Those three chapters in Matthew are kind of a formative uh, primer on what it means to follow Jesus. If you really want to really want to teach people about Jesus, then you need to be in Scripture reading about Jesus. But as I noted earlier, and this is as much a part of this teaching and observing as the actual words, it's, it's not just teaching a set of values or a set of truths. It's not just teaching doctrine. It's a lifestyle. It's not just doctrinal truths. It's a lifestyle. So Jesus taught not only with his words, but with his life, as I noted earlier. So part of this command is to teach people with your life what it looks like to love Jesus and to follow him. Does your lifestyle teach other people? When people come in contact with you, when they observe you, do they see a faithful follower of Jesus who is living out their faith? And by your actions, are they learning what it looks like to be a Christian? And that's the problem for so many in North American Christianity, and that's why the church has had tons of people leave, because what people say they believe in doctrinal truths doesn't match how they're living. And I can all say that about almost every politician I know. These are their truths that they say we all must believe in, but this is how they live. And that's the problem with Christianity for so many people. Christians don't look like Jesus. What people want to see from us is the life of Christ being lived out in us. And as we live out our life for Christ, people see Jesus in us and learn from that. So teaching isn't just teaching about what Jesus said, but it's also how Jesus lived. Which then goes back to the first idea of baptizing. And it's just cyclical, right? That as we journey through our life, we're so connected to the authority that's in heaven and on earth that that power and authority is living and working in us and it spills out to the world around us. And as we go, as we live our lives, we naturally make disciples. But only if we're submitting ourselves. And in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that Jesus taught his disciples to do was pray. That's one reason why we're doing this for the next 21 days. It's because one of the key components of Jesus' teaching and what he lived out over and over and over and over and over again in his personal life and in his personal journey and in his personal faith was this attitude and this action of prayer. It was constant with him. Constant. Every major 
um, point of Jesus' life, we see him getting away and being alone or praying with his disciples or teaching them to pray. Whatever it was, prayer was a key component of what Jesus did, and so he taught his disciples. What else did Jesus teach his disciples? Through his life, how to overcome temptation, right? It's what we talked about earlier. Remember, Jesus now has authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. He was tempted with the power of this world. He was tempted just with he was tempted just with the power that, that Satan could offer over this world. And he declined the temptation, and instead he got the prize of real authority. That's another thing that Jesus teaches us. That's what we ought to be teaching others with our life. How to overcome temptation, right? Guys, if you are being tempted by the world and if you're chasing the powers and the pleasures and the things that this world has to offer, it is always going to be empty. Your ceiling is here, but if you follow Jesus and you give your all to him and his will, your ceiling is here. The world can offer this, but Jesus offers this. And that's part of this study or part of this lesson that we can learn from these scriptures, right? That, that we say no to the temptations of this world. And when we say yes to the authority and the power of Christ at work in us, he offers more. And that's just another thing that he teaches us. So, what does it mean to make disciples? It means to go. That as we go, people see Christ in us. It means that we're inviting them into a life change. It means that we're teaching them. But what are we teaching them? To observe or obey. This word here for the we. Teleo. Tereo. Means to obey. To observe carefully. It means to guard. Think about this. When we think observe, we think following or obedience. When we think about guarding, we mean protecting ourselves. But that's not what this word originated. The word actually originated for what prison guards did for prisoners. They watched over them carefully, making sure that they stayed precisely where they were supposed to be. They observed them and watched them constantly. They guarded them not only from the outside world, but from one another. That's the etymology of this word. That's where this word came from. So if we pull that over into this use of it here with Jesus, what he's saying is we have to be observant. We have to guard ourselves and protect ourselves from the things outside, from the temptations of the world. Look at all of this. I can give this to you. And instead, be careful and observant and obedient to follow through with what Jesus did. And how do we do that? We pray. We learn how he walked. We study what he did. We watch his life and we become like him. That's what it means to observe and to obey. It doesn't mean what Bennett used to do when, we, when he was in kindergarten. When we lived in Kentucky and he was in kindergarten, they were supposed to stay on the line in the hallway. And she, and, 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 and I mean, it was like, this is, the, this is it. You've got to stay on the line. This was like a big rule for them. You stay on the line, and if you get off the line like this, then you're in trouble. Well, Bennett took it upon himself to correct everybody that literally had any part of their shoe out of the line on the floor in his school. 
So what would Bennett do? He would see someone kind of step out of the line, and he would go up and politely correct them. No, he would go up and punch them. He literally punched them. Said, get back in line. Teacher, he's not in line doing it right. While all the while being way off the line. He was so worried about making sure other people were in line that he wasn't keeping himself there. That's not observance. That's not obedience. That's not what this word means. It doesn't mean look what other people are doing and punch them if they're doing what you don't like. Gosh, isn't that what the Twitter world needs to learn right now? Isn't that what social media needs? It's not our job to go around punching and correcting other people. It's our job to observe these things for ourselves. Look, if I can keep up with the percentage of fat and carbs and protein I get, can't I observe a life that looks like Jesus? The world needs more of Jesus. The world needs for someone to live like him. The world needs to see us being like Christ. So that as we go wherever we go, they are connected to something deep. They see Jesus, not us. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.